Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Tim Arroyo. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. All right, are you at Proverbs 3? Excellent. Well, hey, if I haven't met you yet, I've met most of you, but if I haven't, my name's Tim. I'm not the pastor. I'm the worship director here, and um, I'm just excited to talk to you today. We're in a little bit of a different flow. Uh, often we are preaching just topically. We've got something on our hearts um, that we're searching the scriptures for and we're finding a story in the, in the scriptures. Maybe I'm preaching about the grace of God or the mercy of God, but today we're going to be in a flow where we're actually going to be going line by line of a portion of scripture and just letting it speak to us. Is that cool? So we're at Proverbs 3, verse 1, and um, to be honest, this week I was reading this scripture and man, I, my heart just got hungry. You ever just read the word and you just start to feel almost like this hunger, it's almost like this pain because you're so longing to experience what's being promised in what you're reading. And I was experiencing that because this package of scriptures, Proverbs 3, 1 through 6, I mean, it's probably like top five most popular ever. There's a lot of pictures in a lot of people's houses that have this scripture on it. But there is something, even in the midst of the familiarity with the words, when I saw the benefits of the promise of this scripture, I just started to burn. Like, I want this in my life, and I want to really know what it means to do Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. And my heart today is that we can go through this and maybe catch a little bit more of what Solomon is talking about to get us to the place where we experience what God has promised through him in these scriptures. Now, if I was a guessing man, I've got notes for six verses. We'll probably make it through two. Because that's what happened this morning. I can't help it. The word of God is rich and dynamic and multifaceted and beautiful. It's just the way it is. Okay? All right, you ready? All right, let's start with verse one. I'm just going to read the whole thing. And then we're going to go to verse one. My son, do not forget my law. But let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Isn't that just good? I could just walk off the stage right now. We'd all be edified. All the preachers in this room already got about three or four sermons running through their head. They're about to grab this microphone. It's so rich. But we're going to start from the very beginning. What are the first two words of verse 1? My son. Let's stop there. That is the tone of this portion of scripture. How many know tone is important? Unless we have Jesus here bodily in person on this microphone speaking these words to us, we have to infer the tone at which he's speaking. Right By the Holy Spirit, by our best ability to look into the word, we have to kind of infer what is the temperament, what is the context of him talking. Let me give you an example. If I was, if I got a text message on my phone, let's say from my friend Jonathan, and it said, what are you doing? 
my response would be excited. Oh, Johnny wants to hang out. Johnny wants to party. I'm excited about this text message. I'm stoked, right? And all the extroverts said, hey, Now, let me paint a different scenario. It's 3.30, 4 o'clock, maybe 4.30 on a Thursday, and I'm still here working in my office. And I get a text message from my wife, Amanda, that says, what are you doing? <laughs> That's a very different tone. Same words, but the context and the person giving the message really changed the way I feel when I receive it. You know what I'm saying? And it's the same way when you're reading this. Friends, we're reading a letter from somebody else. This is a text message. And the tone that you put on these words is having massive impact on your visceral, emotional response to the commandments of God in the verses. So it's important that we denote the words, my son. See, the tone set here isn't an instructor in a classroom or rules from a distant manager. This is a letter from a father to a son. A father to a son. And in our case, this being a letter from our heavenly father to his children who would take on his work in the earth. Or as it were, that he would write us into his will, his last will and testament. That as Revelation clearly says, we say all the time that we would be kings and priests to our God and that we would rule in the earth. And this is a letter from our father. And it's important to denote that because teachers and managers, their job is to ensure that you, as quickly as possible, meet the bottom line of production needed to move forward. Right? If you're a boss in this room, you may be the most amazing pastoral, people-oriented boss, but there's a bottom line of what you need produced for this person in a position, right? Zechariah, am I wrong? You're a boss of a lot of people. <laughs> it makes sense. He's got a lot of employees in his company, so he understands what I'm saying. But there's a difference between that mindset and the mindset of a father whose job isn't to get your bottom line accomplished. It's a father's job to guide you on the path of transformation. And so it's going to be really important as we read these scriptures that we don't read Solomon and we don't read God as our manager. But we read him as our father inviting us into opportunities for transformation. We don't do that. What's going to happen is I'm going to get into some of this stuff and you're going to take on shame because you haven't met the bottom line yet in your life. Don't do that. Look at your neighbor and say, don't do that. Look at your other neighbor and say, you either. We today are going to operate from delight. We're going to operate from delight because what this is, friends, what Proverbs 1 through 6 is, or in our case, probably 1 through 2, is a father's blessing to us. Is a father leading us along the paths of life, helping us. 
So if at any point this feels like it's hitting you over the head with shame and guilt, just shake your face, have your neighbor pinch you, whatever you got to do to get out of that thinking. And remember, these are opportunities that God's given you, okay? He's a father. All right. My son. (laughs) We're two words in. (laughs) Do not forget my law. I love going into the Hebrew language, the original language. Do you know what this word in Hebrew for forget means? It means forget. Yeah. What's the opposite of forgetting? Remembering. In essence, he's quite simply, he's starting simple, and he's saying, remember my commandments. Remember my law. His exhortation, our father's exhortation, is that we wouldn't allow our connection to the commandments of God, to the word of God, to be so weak that we can't call to remembrance the things that he said to us. In short, to be honest, what he's literally saying here is memorize my words to you. Memorize what I've taught you so that you within yourself have capacity, especially when you face the storms and the trials of life, to have some language found in here to bring remembrance in a way that's applicable and powerful for your life. And so, I was calling Paul, Solomon, as, our fa- as a father figure to us, his first exhortation is don't forget the word of God. In this New Testament context, don't lose it in your memory. Anybody really good at forgetting things you read? <laughs> yeah, then the hands go up. I know, I get it. I honestly spent a lot of years reading the Bible, sometimes for a long time, and a half hour later, I couldn't have even told you what I read. I feel the groans in this room, like, yes, yes, Lord, deliver us. And to be honest, there's a few things for me that have helped me actually start to internalize what God is speaking to me. And to be honest, and I, I know this is a little unique to me, and I didn't share this in the first service, but I feel like there's somebody here this is actually gonna help. Writing sermons helped me, right? When I first started writing sermons, there's some of you, you may not be a pastor, you may not preach, but there's actually gonna be power when you make notes on what you're saying like this. Almost as if you're meant to communicate because you know if you're meant to communicate something that you need to understand it. So if you read the word with the mindset of one day I'm going to have to communicate it, but here's the thing, the person you need to communicate it to is yourself. And so if you kind of do a little self-trickery, trick your mind into believing that you're writing a sermon, all of a sudden you're going to find that that capacity for remembrance is there. That's not for all of you, that's for some of you. I really think there's two primary ways. I mean, underneath all of this is Holy Spirit help. You know, it's the Holy Spirit's job says to bring to remembrance Jesus, all that Jesus taught us, right? All that Jesus is teaching us through the word. It's the Holy Spirit's job. So yieldedness and an ability to hear his voice is, is key to all of this. But I think natural things you can do is literally consistent repetition that creates memorization. I know we're back to the first grade, but y'all, 
I'm tired of in my own life and in the lives of people around me of people going through trials in life and not having a word for it. Of people actually, just like Jesus said in the parable of the sower, where a seed gets in, but there's not actually deep enough roots for it to land and take root. And so it is gone when the cares of life come, when the trials of life come. When stress and anxiety is pressing, especially in these areas that are difficult, friends, we need something to remember. You know what I'm saying? Now, again, this is not a manager talking to you. This is a father exhorting you to join his hand on a path of remembrance of the things that he's told you. Of saying, join me and let me remind you of all the beautiful things that I've taught you over, throughout this word. So number one, I think repetition creates memorization. Consistency creates memorization. And number two, I kind of already said it, but taking time to go deeper and studying the word. I cannot encourage you enough. Reading is beautiful, right? Just the, the act, the simple act of for however long, I just read the words, they hit me how they hit me, and I went on to my day. But there is a whole nother gear that you will hit in your spiritual life when you crack open a book to study with or your phone to study with, with your Bible, and you do more than just read, but you study. Where, where, where your intention is not necessarily to go wide, but it's to go deep. I spent probably 30 minutes on my face over the words, my son. Because it was profound. And I will never forget if I'm feeling rejected, confused, if I'm like a leading worship and I feel like I'm terrible or I'm preaching and it's not going good, hopefully it's going okay right now. But if I'm like, if I'm struggling with my identity, guess what word I'm always gonna come back to? My son. Like, I don't care about all this. I'm his son. I'm your son and I love you, God. Boom, grounded in truth because I remembered because I studied. Is it okay that it's that simple, that practical? It's, I, I tell you, there's just, the word of God is alive. It's alive and the remembrance of it is power on the inside of us. And it's not out of religious obligation and duty. I like to hear the words that come out of the mouth of the one I love. It's like in Song of Solomon where it says, oh, you like your mouth, it's altogether lovely, like it's sweetness itself. Not only do his words help me and heal me and keep me grounded, but I just like them. I like when Jesus speaks to me. And I love the idea of seeing a generation or seeing our church study the word because of how much they love to hear God. Not because they're checking their box from their manager. Who doesn't, like, in a healthy context, you know, I know we all have different dads, but who doesn't want to just hear the voice of their father speak in love and identity and truth? Huh? That's what I want. So do not forget my law. Amazing. We're like halfway through the first verse. We're doing so good, guys. But let your heart keep my commands. Now, this is a really interesting scripture. You know, if we're not careful, it's pretty easy to read this scripture and feel like it says, do not forget my law and then just do what I say. 
right? Let your heart keep my commands. Like, just do what you're told, basically. And that's fine. Solomon has every right to say that to us if that's what he wanted to say. I just don't think that's exactly what he's saying. So let's go into this a little bit. This word for heart says, but let your heart, this Hebrew word for heart, it is in essence meaning your inner man. And when I say inner man, I mean it's this, this, con, this converging point of your mind, your will, and your emotions. All the stuff that happens on the inside of you is your inner man. You all have one. It's New Testament too. Paul said, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner man. That the things you think and feel and desire would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And so this is saying, let your heart, your inner man, this whole thing on the inside of you, keep my commands. And this word for keep is where it gets really interesting. The word for keep, I love Hebrew. The artist in me loves the Hebrew because a lot of these foundational words come with a word picture. And they're actually like insinuate a context that gives clarity to the meaning, which is beautiful. The word keep here means to watch, guard, and preserve a vineyard. To guard from dangers. So here's the idea here. There's a vineyard inside of your inner man. And the father is asking you to keep watch over his commandments, that they would be preserved on the inside of you. Now here's where we can struggle with this. We're waiting for Solomon to give us some kind of external behavioral-based marching order. Do this. But up to this point, and to be honest, for the first six scriptures, he's only talking about what's happening on the inside of you. He's actually calling you to an internal work. And this idea that there's a vineyard on the inside of you. Isn't it cool that Jesus later on, I mentioned it earlier, the parable of the sower. There's soil on the inside of you that is actually meant to absorb the kingdom, the words of God, the commandments of God. And how many know that seeds don't just get planted and do nothing? but that there's commandments that are actually meant to plant inside of you and grow. Here's the thing. You don't got to do but five minutes of Googling research on vineyards to see that they don't just happen. They're like one of the most, especially when you get to the highest levels of fanciness in Italy and vineyards and Napa, you know, it is this detailed, intentional, tedious work that is constant. Like having a vineyard is not one of those things that you just like go, yep, excellent, and walk away from and it happens. Having a vineyard that maintains and is healthy is actually requires daily like work. Daily observation. I think the work of keeping a vineyard is pretty much in one of two places. Well, before I say that, let me say this. I think you know what you're keeping 
you know, keep, on this word of keep, like what you're preserving, what you're guarding, what you're maintaining on the inside of yourself. You have a really clear picture of what it is that you're keeping inside of you whenever you experience a moment of stillness. Where does your mind drift to? When you're all alone, when, you, when, you're, when your head hits the pillow at night, when you're driving in your car, when you're not in the mission of accomplishing something, some of you probably don't even slow down long enough to be self-aware about what's going on in your brain. Raise your hand if you're just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. You actually know what it is that you're gardening in your vineyard by what you daydream about. And I'm going to be honest with you. I know a lot of people that daydream anxiety, accomplishments, to-do lists, fear, insecurity, right? And there's an opportunity here. There's a promise from our Father that says, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's actually do the work here of ensuring that the vineyard that's happening on the inside of your inner man is not faithless lies and insecurities, but it's actually his words, his commandments. I don't know if we get that. The daily opportunity to choose trying to find the right words here because I don't want to be intense. Stretch your hands towards me. Don't be so intense. Every day, you have a choice of what you want to see grow from the vineyard of your inner man. And the way I see it, there's two different lanes of work when you're tending a vineyard. There's one lane where you're doing things that intentionally promote the natural growth of the seed that's put inside of you. This is stuff like worship, right? Community, reading books or podcasts, taking content that is based around the kingdom, even like serving in your local church or serving the, you know, just in some capacity, serving the kingdom of God. These are things that are intentional to cause growth to be a natural byproduct in your life. Like, don't you just want to be the type of person that when they lay their head down at night, they're just thinking about Jesus? That your mind just drifts towards the beauty of his law and his commandments? That you lay your head down and you think, oh, I'm a son. Oh, man, I love the fruit of walking in the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Man, imagine, can you even like have faith for a life where that is literally the substance of your thought life. Because that's what we're being invited into. And this is a moment where it is so important that you have an atmosphere of faith on the inside of you to believe in the possibility, to have a realistic view of what your thought life and your inner life is right now and have faith that there's actually a method to getting to a place of breakthrough. There's actually faith in my heart that I could be somebody that keeps his commandments in my heart. Again, not just that I'm obedient, but that in my heart they're tended to and they're alive. But again, to go back to right before the do not forget my law, you're not going to be able to tend something you don't know. 
right? You're not actually going to be able to work and tend and preserve and watch over words that you do not know. And that's why it's so important that we do the things that actually promote growth. And then the second thing that you do in a vineyard is you work to keep things that will destroy the seed, the growth, away from your vineyard. Filtering ungodly entertainment out of your life. Don't care how funny the movie is or how awesome the song is. If it's all putting seed in you, I don't want to have weeds growing up next to the promise of God. We're so like cool, like, oh, help me God. It's so okay, like, we'll look at our life and we'll look and we'll see, well, I see fruit. I see the, the word manifesting in my heart. And we're actually content if we see it, but we don't actually care if there's tons of weeds growing around it. Like, we're okay with a measure of yieldedness and faithfulness, but the idea of having a vineyard that's only full of his commandments is far from us. The idea of having a life that is like uncompromising to the best of our ability. You know, no one's perfect but Jesus. But a life where compromise is actually not like a thing. Oh, you didn't know that was possible. Yes, it's very much possible. You know that there is grace enough in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you would be able to to, to live your life every day with the absolute conviction that you are living faithful to Jesus to the absolute best of your ability. That you do not have to live your life constantly reminded of the things that you know he wants you to do that you're not doing. That there's actually power and grace for you to do the hard things, the courageous things, which it takes courage to actually live out in faith that the word of God will keep you in a place of preservation before the Lord. You know, it takes faith, it takes courage to do that. Here's my proof, Joshua 1. God tells Joshua to be courageous in two things. Number one, courageous in the battle that he's about to fight because duh, he's about to go hand to hand with giants. You're gonna have to be brave to do that. But he tells them to be courageous at a second thing. He says, be courageous to do everything in my law, to observe every one of my commandments. He actually tells him to have courage to put faith in a written word that he believes is actually alive. Like I have faith to believe that when I walk out the word of God, I'll live in the provision of God. You realize it takes faith to do that? Like, like if you're not a believer, that literally sounds crazy. You're gonna do what a book says and then a God that you can't see is going to make it well with your soul. That society built around you is built to make you not do things like this. And I'm not saying this to trash society. What I am saying is that we need to acknowledge that maybe there's a measure of difficulty we've had in rooting out some of the things in our garden or or, or getting the, the actual good stuff, the commandments of God planted in our vineyard because we're actually a little bit wavering in our faith that really, 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 really what God has promised us in this will actually happen. That's why testimonies are so important. 
That's why the testimonies of Joshua and Moses and Ezekiel and all these Old Testament, New Testament prophets, these need to be more than fairy tales. This really happened. It has real impact on life because God is just as real and present then as he is today. It takes courage. It takes courage to believe that we could do the work of filtering out Man, it takes courage to believe I have on here things that we do to keep the bad stuff away from our vineyard. Talked about entertainment. Talked about sanctifying relationships. Fighting against isolation. Processing anxiety and trauma, even in counseling. Come on now. I've done it. It was a powerful tool to keep weeds out of my vineyard. Oh, come on now. We was going to get raw like that, get honest like that. Holy Spirit-led counseling, friends, will change your life. It's changed mine. This past year in 2022, it absolutely changed my life. I'm proud of it, and I'm proud of what it's accomplished in me, and it has helped me keep my vineyard clean. You know what I'm saying? I want it to be like the most normal thing in our church. Everyone's like, who'd you go see? Oh, I saw this. Oh, they're great. I saw them a couple years ago. We're all so healthy and whole. Like imagine what it would be like to be among a people who are experiencing the benefits of a cleaned out vineyard, of a tended vineyard. And I felt this morning, I feel it in this room again, that this is the year that some of you are gonna get your vineyard back. This year that some of you guys that have let the inner man become overgrown and anybody could come in and out, any thought, any belief, anything coming in and out, but there's like a new guardian and it's you at the doorpost of your vineyard and you're saying, not anymore, I'm gonna tend to this thing. There's a fresh breakthrough in that place, the inner man this year. That's gonna be amazing because the benefits are beautiful. We are just now getting out of verse one and peace they will add to you. Now, this is the part I'm really hungry for. I wanna see length of days, long life, and peace manifested in my life in a greater level. I got faith. I feel tenacious for it. And it's interesting, you know, this uh, scripture, it says the length of days, it means exactly what you think it means. It means a real long life. I'll sign up for that. I like living, right? We all like living, right? We're all appreciative to the Lord of the time that we get to spend on this earth, being his children, following his will. We see this life as a blessing, not a curse. We're not just waiting to clock out, but we see this as actually the present will of God, beautiful and amazing for us to walk into, right? So this is what it means, is that you get to have a long life. It's gonna go the full length that God intends, which is amazing, but here's what's interesting. The, 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 what it says after that says, for length of days and long life. Sorry, length of days means you're gonna have a long life. But this word long life, I'm often curious when I read the word, when I see two statements next to each other that seem like in the English translation, they're just saying the exact same thing. Like sometimes, sure, the writer might just be poet, having a poetic moment. I'm just gonna say the same thing in a different way. That's like songwriting, right? That's what we do. But sometimes, there's actually a translation thing here, and he's not just repeating himself. There's a whole other connotation he's saying. So this first word, length of days, means length of days, long days. But that word long life, the word long is actually the Hebrew word for year 
or years. So saying the years of your life, and this word life means welfare and happiness in the king's presence, combined with spiritual blessedness. So rewind it back at the remembrance of the word of God and the cultivation of that word in our inner man, the consistency of that, the cultivation of the vineyard on the inside of us, the fruit of that in our lives is a long life that is full of welfare and happiness in the king's presence. I didn't say it. Some of you guys just really want to suffer for Jesus, and that's fine. If that's the path he leads you through, then so be it. But I'm banking on this. And you know what else it says? It gets even worse. And peace they will add to you. Shalom, peace, complete, sound welfare on three levels. Soundness and healed welfare within yourself, your body, your person, your emotions, with others, all of your relationships, and with God himself. Now that sounds good. There is a faith required if we're really going to put in, like for real, for reals, if we're really going to put in the time to remember the word of God, to do that process of consistency and study and for some of us sermon writing and, you know, oh yeah, I didn't see you back there, Steve. Good to see you. Welcome back. Sorry, I saw something I haven't seen in quite a while. <laughs> um, total squirrel moment. Um, for you to experience, like to be willing to go through what sometimes is a dry experience with the word of God. That's the thing about the Bible is it's not always like instant bake oven. Sometimes you'll spend much time taking in, studying, reading, and you don't actually feel the benefit for like a week or two. That's okay. Don't be deceived by the lack of an immediate emotional, visceral response from the study of the word. It's working. And the thing that's going to keep you solid in the study of this word is the belief that the promise of God of length of days and a long life is peace on the other side of it. Is that cool? Why don't you stay with me?